0: Great to be together today. Take that Bible and look over to 1 John. We have a, I've titled the message this morning. We are, if you're new, working our way through the exposition of the epistle of 1 John towards there at the end of the New Testament. Not the gospel, but the epistle. Just a few books back from the book of Revelation. And we're reading and studying from that scripture that I gave today. Now, Jesus and John here in 1 John says that anyone who denies in 222 that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. And we've spent some time there saying that to deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah is more than just that concept of an Old Testament concept where the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah. It includes that, but we just said to deny the Christ is, in essence, to deny His deity, to deny it either in the fact that He is fully God or to deny that He is fully man and fully God at the, at the same time in His deity. The one who denies that is a liar, and it's not just that it's a liar, this is the Antichrist or who is the liar, it actually just says, is the liar. It is the lie that exceeds all lies because it strikes at the heart of the Christian faith. To deny his deity is to denounce the gospel that we love and read and study about altogether. When you deny that, out goes the gospel. In fact, look at verse 23. It says that no one who denies the Son has the Father. It's a staggering verse. No one who denies the Son has the Father. I mean, the implications of that statement alone are staggering. It means that every false religion, every cult that distorts the deity or the humanity of Jesus Christ does not worship the true God. I mean, it's just that expressive. Joe Stahl, who used to be the president at Moody Bible Institute, gave an account of being at a prayer breakfast that he attended in Chicago some years ago. And Stahl recites this. He says, I can remember years ago when the name of Jesus was freely used in prayers and sermons alike at the breakfast. But this year's event was marked by what seemed to be an intentional effort to eliminate references to Jesus from the platform. Stoll says that the MC opened by reading an excerpt from Diane X's bestseller. And here it is, a New, Reli- a New Religious America. And here's the title. How a Christian country has become the world's most religiously diverse nation. That's the title. He then did this one opening this service. Underscored the diversity of religion in America, now demands what he called a new paradigm regarding the expression of our faith. And at the prayer breakfast, he called a representative, or uh, for a fresh wind of cooperation and tolerance, and a representative of Islam chanted his prayer in the name of Allah. Then a woman rabbi came up. Then a Catholic priest. And then a minister from a liberal denomination, each led in prayer, in a prayer that was in a kind of a coordinated sequence of prayers, and then it finished by praying in unison. And Stahl says, I kept waiting to hear it, but Jesus' name was not mentioned once. No one said he wasn't welcome, but the meaning was clear. All our gods, little g, are to be equal. It's difficult to include one who has claimed to be the only way to God when a diversity of paths to God is, is being celebrated. Then Stoll went on to say that the rector of Trinity Church in New York was introduced as deeply involved in the ministry surrounding the disaster of September 11th, 2001. Stoll says, We were moved as he related stories of tragedy and triumph at Grand Zero. However, as his message progressed, he put into the words, my worst fears about post-9-11 America. As he put it, quote, theology is the name of the game after 9-11. But he noted, given the broad diversity of religions, we now need to give up the traditions that divide those who believe in God. And he praised then the diversity of the prayer segment and expressed that he was telling us, Stoll said, in no uncertain terms, that an only way Jesus didn't fit into the new religious order. Well said. I I mean, get a prayer breakfast together and everybody can talk about God. Just don't mention the name of Jesus seems to be a little bit of the banter of the day. I mean, God's okay. Talk about God, but don't specifically talk about His Son. I mean, but the Bible and the message is so clear. Jesus himself said, and you know this, that I am the way and the what? The truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Peter proclaimed at the day of Pentecost and after Pentecost that there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. John the Apostle wrote in 336 that he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In other words, the Bible is so clear that way. And Scripture stresses over and over that Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation for the world, In fact, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 5 that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. I mean, no heresy so corrupts the evangelical gospel and robs it of its power as the teaching that Jesus Christ is not God. I mean, apart from his deity, again... There is no gospel and no salvation. I mean, I'm thinking about just the statements that Jesus made compared to other world leaders. Lenin, during the Russian Revolution in 1918, said if communism were implemented, there would be bread, he said, for every household. But Lenin never said, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Buddha taught enlightenment, yet he died seeking more light. He never said, as Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Muhammad claimed that his tribes were descendants from abraham through ishmael but he did not say as jesus did before abraham was born i what am freud believed that psychotherapy would heal people's emotional pain but he could not say as jesus said peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do i give to you And down it goes. The New Age gurus of our day say and want to claim that we'll be reincarnated. Yet not one of them could say, as Jesus said, that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he, what does it say, shall what? Live. I mean, If you've had a loved one go in this last year who was in Christ, though they die, they live again with Christ. Now, as we come here to the text, John presents before us the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And he presents, does he, in 1 John 2, 18, down through 27, the believer side by side with the false teachers. And he addresses those who have defected, and again, those are side by side with those who have remained faithful in Christ. Now, remember, as we've set out in this book, he's describing the difference between a real believer and a make-believer. And he does that in order that you may test yourself, your children, and the others you love. Are you in the faith? And ultimately, he's not causing you to doubt that. He wants to help you affirm that you're in the faith. He wants to help you understand why some have defected and then what a true Christian looks like. And here's where assurance lives and so he kind of uh, uh, the, what he does is he gives this series of tests throughout first john and the one we're studying is a doctrinal test and he's asking us this morning do you have a proper view of christ now remember in our outline he presents four contrast that direct us to a true view of christ and the assurance of our salvation let me touch on that as we come to the fourth and final contrast. Remember first he said you got to recognize the Antichrist. Recognize the Antichrist and their defection. Look again at the text in 18. He said children is the last hour. As you've heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrist have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. He says recognize these Antichrist. Recognize what they're doing. And we said there that an Antichrist, Antichrist. Christ is any person who is against Christ, any person who attacks the deity of Christ, any who are hostile to the true nature of Christ, to his deity, to his humanity. That is the spirit of Antichrist. I suppose you don't have to say that you're against him. You could just be passive like these prayer breakfasts I've mentioned the last two weeks. Just don't love him. That is the spirit of Antichrist. So John says beware of this, recognize them, recognize in verse 19 that they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. So he says, first, recognize in this contrast the Antichrist, their defection. But he puts that side by side to recognize the true believers and our anointing. And you can pick it up in verse 20. He says, but you, and he Keeps making these grand contrasts. But you, and it's very emphatic, have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. And so he says recognize a believer by these two characteristics. First, you have an anointing. And then secondly, through that anointing, you have all truth. Remember that we've said all along that the anointing is that when you came to saving faith In Jesus Christ, at that moment when he declared you righteous, if you will, Jesus Christ, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell inside of us, if you will. And that's what that anointing is. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in your life. He has changed your heart from a heart of stone to a soft heart that wants to obey the Scripture. So what he's saying is this, here's where assurance comes. These guys, the false teachers, the Antichrist, they defected. But you, you have an anointing. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. And here it enables you, verse 20, to know all truth. And we didn't say that that means we know everything there is to know. It just means within the context of these false teachers that you have what you need to understand for your salvation. And so here he says, recognize these antichrists, their defection. Secondly, recognize believers, our anointing. Thirdly, he says, recognize the antichrist and their denial. And you could see it in verse 20. Here's what they deny. They deny, as we've mentioned earlier, that Jesus is the Christ. And that leads us right to this fourth and final contrast. We move from their denial to finally, the, the true believers, and our declaration, okay? And that's what will take our time up. That Our declaration, look at the second part of verse 23, is whoever confesses the Son has the what? The Father also. You cannot have the one without the other. You cannot have the Father apart from confession of the what? The sun, it's just that simple. But I, I I suppose when Paul John penned this, it was radical. I think it's radical today. It just means that everyone you know who talks about God, if it's not connected to the sun, doesn't have God. They can talk about God. They can get ethereal about God. They can speak about him in whatever language they make. But if it's not connected to the sun, then they don't have God the Father. It's that simple. In fact, look over at chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, whoever, 415, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God, what does it say? Abides in him, and he in God. And so it's very important that we recognize this. Now, as we look at this declaration, okay what he's going to do through the remainder of verse 27 is give us two safeguards for the believer from being led astray by these false teachers. I mean, we might say, John, tell us a little bit more about confessing the son. Tell us a little bit more about this word abide. In fact, under this section on our declaration on the fourth point, He's building a theology around this word abide. And, and you can see it. In fact, it's interesting that from chapter 2, verse 19, down through chapter 3, verse 6, eight different times John refers to the word abide. And we've said that to abide, if you're a believer, just it's a simple word. It just means to remain. It means to dwell, if you will. It means to stay is the thought. And whenever you see that word abide, contrast it to the false teachers who defected. They left us, they went out, they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us, but it became plain that they were not of us, so they left. But a believer, and here's where assurance lies, abides. A true believer perseveres. And this is the teaching of Scripture. In fact, Look back at John chapter 2, verse 6, just for a moment. Whoever says, and remember, talk is cheap, but it says whoever says he abides in him, who remains in him, where God dwells in him, ought, John says, to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And so if we're abiding, we're going to be really obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Look over at 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever, John says there, loves his brother, the scripture says, abides in the light. And so you're, you're abiding, you're walking, you're, you're loving the brethren. Glance down again at verse 14, where 2.14, where he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, Because you are strong. And then he says, and the word of God abides in you. Okay, look down at chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God, what? Remains forever, abides forever. Now, now what John does, and I want to be practical with you, what does it mean to abide? I mean, that's a fair question. It's all over. Um, and, and it's right here in the text. And what he's going to do is give you two safeguards that provide assurance to you that you're really in the faith. And he builds it around these two safeguards. One of them is the apostolic message. And the second one is the anointing. This is what marks out a believer and the believer's ability to abide in Christ. Look at verse 24, and we're picking up here at this first safeguard, the apostolic message. It says, let, and again, this is the word of God. God is speaking to you in his word. Let what you have heard from the beginning, what does it say? Abide in you. In other words, as he's writing here, he says to the Disciples, the spirit of God says to us this morning, let the apostolic doctrine, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. In other words, when you began, I think that's the the thought here in 24, when you began what you've heard at the beginning of your Christian faith, let it just remain in you. Let it dwell in you. In fact, look at verse 24 again, the second part. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So whatever Christian assurance is, it is an abiding, a continuing in the faith of the apostolic doctrine. And when you abide what you heard in their message, Then it says, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is just all over the Word of God. Take your New Testament, look back to 2 Timothy just for a second. I want to show you a few places because this is where as we build our church, as it's been faithfully taught for all the years the church has been in existence, we're never going to change. And, and I'd say we're never going to change because assurance and abiding is going to be built off the apostolic message that was once and for all delivered to the, to the saints. Look at 2 Timothy chapter two, 2, 2 Timothy chapter, excuse me, chapter 3, and watch the reminder here, and may it be a reminder to us. Actually, if you go back to 2 Timothy 3.13, it says that evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being what? Deceived. I just take that. You say, does all, do false teachers all know what they're doing? Some do, some don't. Some purposefully deceived. Others are deceived and bring others into it. But look what, look what Paul told Timothy in verse 14. He says, but as for you, there's that contrast, continue in what you have heard and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then of course verse 16 all scripture is breathed out by God. But I love that statement, as for you, continue in what you have learned. In other words, beloved, you don't need anything new. Assurance doesn't lie in some new technique, some new teacher, some new guru. Assurance lies in the apostolic message. And here, John says, let that word abide in you. Let it be that apostolic message. Look over in your Bible back to actually 2 Timothy chapter 1. Go back just a chapter or two, 2 Timothy 1, when it says here, and again it's Paul preaching to Timothy, where he says, I love this statement, follow, 113, follow the pattern of sound words which you have heard from what? Me. He's an apostle in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. But I love that phrase. Follow the pattern of sound words. There is the teaching of Scripture. In fact, look over to 1 Corinthians just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's familiar, is it not? That's the chapter on the resurrection, and I'm just thinking of all these places where the apostolic message has been given and we need to rely on it. Remember this in 1 Corinthians 1, 15, or 15, 1. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold Fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Listen, our church is is part of the apostolic community. I mean, I'm not making this up. We're just in the book. And we will always be in the book because this is the safeguard for this kind of teaching. And John says here, listen, these people have defected, but you have remained. And you need to remain, and you need to remain and abide in the word that you've heard from the beginning. And so we have nothing new here. We're just preaching what the apostles preached. In fact, look back at 2 Timothy just for a second. And it describes, I think, in many ways, people in our own day. 2 Timothy chapter 4 you remember that Paul told Timothy there, he told him to preach the word. I love that. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And you do it, he said, with complete patience and what? Teaching. And then you know this in verse 3. For the time, will, the time is coming when people will not endure what? sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into it says miss listen that's our day they, they don't want to endure it and so they begin to wander and they begin to pull people aside who say what people want to hear So here, go back now to 1 John. You understand, it's all over the scripture there. In 1 John chapter 2, all John is saying there in verse 24 is let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you as the thought. Let it be at home in you, okay? Now, the question could be posed, how do you do that though? How do you practically let that word abide in you? Well, I think I would just say at the beginning, first you've got to renounce yourself, okay? I'm talking to you as a believer, okay? In other words, we can't live our life and abide in Jesus at the same time. In other words, you can't live for yourself and at the same time be abiding in him. It is either our own life in us or it is His life in us, okay? But to abide in Christ, and you know I'm going to say this, is to feed, and I'm talking to you now, men, is to feed yourself on the Word of God. So it's not enough to just say Christ is in me, which He is, You've got to abide in him. How do I do that? You've got to feed on the word of God. In fact, go back where you do this just to John's gospel. Remember, this is John. He wrote 1 John. He wrote John 15. You're so familiar with that great, great section, but I'll turn it back to you again. John chapter 15, where Jesus is saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine Dresser. But watch what he says here in John 15 7. He says, If you abide in me, and here's the key phrase in 15 7, and my words what abide in you. You've got to let that word, you've got to feed upon that word. Jesus said it this way in John 8 31. If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciple. And so here is the apostolic message that we heard from the beginning, but it's got to be that you and I are daily feeding on the word of God. That's why it says in 1 John 2, 24, to let the word uh, abide in you. In fact, look back now to, to 2 John just for a second. 2 John, I know I'm turning you a lot, but, but look at 2 John, and maybe this just says it all here, when again he continues this thought in Second John verse 9, that everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not abide, does not remain, does not dwell in the teaching of Christ, does not have who? God. So you say, wh- where does assurance come from? This. You're clinging to the book. You're abiding in the book. You're not walking an aisle, praying a prayer, signing on the dotted line, and then just going out to live how you want to live. A true believer Finds their assurance, not in a decision, but a present, ongoing, abiding, and here, feeding upon the word of God. Look at 2 John 2, 9 again. It says, Whoever does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever, verse 9, abides in the teaching has both the Father and what? The Son. You've got to continue. So what do you mean continue? You've got to remain. You've got to continue to love this book, women. In other words, it doesn't matter what your tradition is. It doesn't matter what denomination you came out of. Okay, What matters is that we are a people that are in this book. And so here's the apostolic message. But what you heard from the beginning, it's got to abide in you. In fact, just look back a few pages to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. And, and again, I, I'm moving here now. Let me, let me say this. You can't just feed on his word. I'm trying to be practical here. You've also got to what? What would the word be? I'm looking for. Obey his word. You, but, but first you got to feed on it. Then you got to obey it. Look at 1 John 3 24. Whoever, th- this is so clear, keeps His commandments, what, abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given to us. You've got to obey the commandments of God. So here's where assurance comes. Here's a safeguard that John gives. And ultimately, let me just frame it this way. John's actually trying to encourage it. Maybe I'm just being too strong here. He's just trying to help you understand there's people that are gone. There's people that have defected. There's Antichrist out there. They went out from us. But he, here's what he's saying not you. Not you. You heard and, and you're abiding and, and you're seeking to obey. You say, but Scott, I, I'm not obeying perfectly. No. Because if you say you have no sin, 1 John, you are what? Deceiving yourself. But here's what a believer is. It's a man or woman who's just saying, I want to live. I want to remain. I want to let his kingdom come. I want to let his will be done. And you're taking up the scriptures, mothers, and you're in them. And you're taking up the scriptures, single women, and you're in them. And grandfathers, you're taking up the word because you can't do it apart from him. So you're abiding, you're letting the Word of God remain and dwell, and then you're obeying what you know to be true is the thoughts. In fact, um, if you go back to John, let me just turn you back because the analogies are so clear, it's the same author, right? John 15, and again, I'm just illustrating this, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Um, He says... Does John in chapter 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. This is clear. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You've got to obey. Look at verse 14. How could it be any clearer? You are my friends if you do what I, what? Command you. Fifteen fourteen. You got to obey. You say, am I going to obey perfect? No. I mean, I just got to tell you, sometimes even this week when I was just praying, um, I just, you know, even for my life, I feel like I've been doing, I've been in pastoral ministry, um, you know, over 25 years since I've been studying I don't know, I was in school to get my doctorate for years. But even this week, I just found myself just thinking, man, I'm not abiding like I need to. I mean, I'm in the Word every week for years, but I I found myself, I want Christ and His Word to even become more a part of me, right? I want to just read His Word and I want to obey His Word and I want to let that word that I knew from the beginning continue to resonate in my heart. And I had to confess sin. Lord, I, maybe I'm getting a little comfortable. Lord, maybe I'm just not loving you. And so I found myself praying and I found myself saying, Lord, I know so little about abiding. I don't want to become a professional pastor. I don't want to become a professional Christian. And so I'm in the word, but I found myself saying, Lord, ever teach me this ever even more so. In fact, look back now, if you will, at 1 John. Because he says there, he, and I'm back in the text here, in verse 24, he, he says, let that which you've heard from the beginning abide in you. And if what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so he says in verse 26, look there, he says, I write these things to you, uh, to you about those who are trying to what deceive you he, he wants to make it clear they've left but listen if you're here and you're in the word and you're loving the word and you're not what you need to be but your desire is to be more like him then listen here's a safeguard and here's an assurance your faith is built off the apostolic message of Jesus Christ but that's not all there's a second safeguard look in the text He says there in verse 27, there's a second safeguard. Not only the apostolic message, but we have another arsenal to safeguard our salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. Okay? And and, and this is key. Look at verse 27. He says, But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. Now, And again, remember he said that in verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Now he comes back in 27, the anointing you receive from him abides in you. Now let me just get a bit technical with you. I don't mean to be so technical, but it is the word of God, is it not? And I always want to know what it means. But look at the text again in 27. But the anointing, watch this, that you, look at the language and I'm reading from the ESV received from him. Now the question would be who's the from him? Some people believe it's from God the Father who John 14 gave the spirit, but I think it's best here in this context to see Christ as the one who promised to send us the spirit after his departure, and so it might not be that it's so clear that it comes both from God the Father and God the Son, okay? But but look carefully again. It says, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, okay? Watch this. God doesn't simply give us his spirit. He gives the spirit, it's going to sound funny, but into us. In other words, he doesn't just give it to us, but his spirit. This is the teaching of the scripture. Resides within you to encourage you, to energize you, to enable you. In other words, here's this safeguard it's not just apostolic doctrine. You have an anointing, and the Spirit isn't just here, He's inside, if you will, okay? And you are exhorted here, and understand this not exhorted. Look at it again. I just think it's interesting in 27. You're not exhorted to let the Holy Spirit abide in us. Like, would you let that happen? Look what it says in 27. You received from him, it abides what? In you. It's already in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit, Romans chapter 8, abides in us. And so this is not a temporary indwelling. You have already received the anointing, and it is permanently abiding in you. You say, well, Scott, how how does that safeguard me? (laughs) Listen, once you have the Spirit of God, could you ever leave him? I mean, if, if the Spirit of God is operating in you, and he's in you, and he's operating and he's convicting you of sin, you could never leave the flock. You are guarded by God in his sovereignty that no one will snatch you out of my hand, Jesus said. But you are guarded in the fact that the spirit of God is dwelling inside of you and you've already received that anointing and it is permanently abiding in you. And so I've often told people, I know I'm a Christian not because of what I do right. I know I'm a Christian that when I sin, I'm under conviction. You understand? It's almost like before when you were without Christ, I, I didn't care. I didn't have the Spirit of God. I didn't have a care in the world if I, whatever I did, whatever I wanted to do. But all of a sudden, when I became a Christian at 14 and the Holy Spirit took up residence in me, it was almost as though I couldn't do what I used to do, Right? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is convicting me. He's moving in my life. He's using the Word, and He's directing me accordingly. Now, now look again at verse 27. It says, but the anointing that you, again, received. And it points back to the reception of the Holy Spirit that was given to every believer at the time of His conversion. You say, well, Scott, what about the people who have left? They never had the what? The Holy Spirit. You say, well, they went out from us and they were of us. No, but they really weren't of us because if they really were of us, they would have remained with us. But as it became plain, they were not of us, so they left. See, a true believer has the Holy Spirit remaining inside. And that doesn't mean that we can't disobey, but we have been given the Spirit of God. Look at 1 John chapter 3 in verse 24. We touched on it earlier whoever keeps the commandments of God abides in him and God in him. And this we know, how do we know, John, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has what? Given us. By the way, it rules out everything that the charismatics teach, right? Well, you don't have enough of the Spirit. No, 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 I have the fullness of the Spirit. When I came to Christ, he didn't give me part of the Spirit. He gave me all of the Spirit. I was baptized, 1 Corinthians 12, as you were in th- by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Now I understand the, di- the difference between here, the indwelling Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. But if you're a believer, you have the fullness of the Spirit. First John 3, 24, By this we know He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has, what does it say? Given us. He's already given it to you. Look over at 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this, he says, we know that we abide or remain in him, and he in us, why? Because he has given us of his, what? Spirits. And so, go back now to 1 John chapter 2. He says there, and you understand it now, where he says, But the anointing, verse 27, that you've received from him abides in you. And then he says this, and you have no need that anyone should, what? Teach you. In other words, it doesn't mean that you don't have the need of teaching offices. We see that, as I mentioned, in Ephesians 4. It just means this, that if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. And one of the chief goals and operations of the Spirit of God in your life is to reveal truth to you. And so all he's saying here in the context is you don't have need for the new false teaching. You don't have need for the stuff that itches ears. You don't have need for the new knowledge of the Gnostic teachers. You already have all knowledge and you already have the Spirit of God who's living within you. It does not need to be added to, and this is our defense, if you will, against the deception. But watch it. He goes on. Watch this in verse 27. He says, but, he says you don't need anybody to teach you, but, fascinating, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, it says it again, abide in him. Now you'll note there in 27, it's another great contrast, but as his anointing Teaches you. In other words, far from needing additional instruction, the Holy Spirit, believers, is continually teaching you, not occasionally. He's, if you will, ever present teaching you. Now, four specific ways are mentioned here, and I'll just touch on them. Look, it says this he, His anointing, His Spirit, living in you, manifesting the word to you, teaches you, number one, about what? everything. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. And and certainly God's going to use people but away from the false teachers. But listen, he's going to teach you about everything. In other words, you have all you need in this book. In fact, look back about verse chapter 2, verse 20. He says, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have, he said, all knowledge. In other words, you don't need what's new coming down the pipe. And then look what he says, not only does he teach you everything, but secondly, I love this phrase, he teaches you about everything and is, what does it say, true. In other words, this is the real deal. We know our God is the true God. Thinking of Jesus in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not only going to be instructing you, but he's going to teach you about God and the Holy Spirit and his truth is true. And in, in fact, look over at 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Here's where assurance lies, and this comes from the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 20, just at the end, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is, what, true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and, what, eternal life. You say, how do you know that? By the Spirit of God? By the Spirit of God? Listen, I mean, I, I'm i driving this morning on, I, I, I don't know, J40, Road 40, Mountain 400, um and i drove by a cult and man it just makes my skin i'm with my girls praying that's a cult over there really dad what do they believe i'll tell you after the service yeah i mean i just i because all i know is this is the word of god all i know is this is true all i know is his son is true and his son jesus christ he is the true god and eternal life how do you know that from the word how do you know that from the spirit of god And here, as you go back to 1 John 2, 27, when he says that you, you know, he says the anointing teaches you everything, number one. Number two, it is true. you know that the Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of what? Truth. You say, where's that? Just look over. I'll show you. 1 John 5, 6, okay? 1 John 5, 6. He who comes by the water, by the blood, Jesus Christ, not only by the water only, but by the... Water and the blood and the spirit in 5.6 is the one who testifies because the spirit is the what? Truth. Listen, I am not worried about this. I'm giving my life to it, aren't we? Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done. Let goods and, you know, perish and kindred go, you know, abide in him also. Listen, this is true. This is true. You say, what's the opposite? Are you going to call him a liar? This is how I used to reason when I was a teenager. It's true. And and, and the only way you can say it's true, if you're going to fudge on it, is to say that it's not true, and we're not going to say that, right? In fact, in John fourteen seventeen, there the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. It says, you know Him, was incredible, for He dwells with you and will be what in you in other words he's testifying to the truth about Christ in fact it says in john 16:13 that when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you unto all the what truth so what that means is when the spirit came it guided the apostles to all the truth that what you hold in your hands is the Word of God. And it is true. The Holy Spirit testified to it. It is inspired by God. It is true. And when He comes, He's going to guide you into all the truth. And so number one, it says it teaches you about everything. Number two, the Holy Spirit is true. Look at number three there, just in that little phrase in 227. It says, and is true. And again, this is the Word of God. And is no what? Lie. Okay? You say, why is there no lie? Look back at 2.21, 1 John 2.21. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the, what? Truth. Listen, pa- Paul said this to Titus in Titus 1, two, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never, what? Lies. He never lies. You're holding in your hand His word. You're holding in His hand the word of God. Abide in it. And the Holy Spirit now teaches you about everything. It's true. And in Him there is no lie. And watch this, the final aspect here. It says, and just as it has taught you, what does it say? Abide in Him. Now, what fascinates me here, and you get it, You've received from Him the Spirit. The Spirit indwells in you. But at the same time, look at that last phrase. Just as it has taught you, what does He say? Abide in Him. Abide in Him. Remain in Him. Dwell in Him. You say, well, what happens if I abide in Him? What does that look like? You're in His Word. What does it look like? You obey His Word. In other words, he's commanding you, he's commanding me that even though he abides in you, you, as you've been taught, need to abide in him. And then as you're abiding in him, you say, how will I know if I'm abiding in him? You will bear what? Fruit. That's simple. So don't act like, you know, how how would I say this? You made a decision a long time. I don't care. Okay. Now, I, I do care. You say, but I became a Christian 15. I don't care. You say, but I, 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 I became a Christian and, and then I've been married 10 years and you're still not in the word. You, listen, you've got to abide in him right now. Mamas, you've got to abide in him. Mamas, you need to get that book and start reading it and loving it because you've got to abide in him. And if you're abiding in him, you will bear fruit. Now, you say, well, what does that look like? Well, two things. There's action fruit. And there's attitude fruit. Action fruit is you're going to do something with your faith because it's coming out and as you're abiding in Him, you're going to bear fruit and prove to be His disciples. And then there's attitude fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, say it with me, joy, peace, patience kindness. In other words, those attitudes are going to be coming out of your life because you're abiding in the word. And so you're going to begin to bear fruit and then you're going to begin to pray more because John fifteen seven says that abiding in him is the secret power of prayer. I don't have time for all this. John 15, you're going to have fullness of what? Joy. Listen. If you've lost your joy, you're not abiding. You may be a believer, but if you've lost your joy, you're not abiding in him because your will is more important than his. Your desire is more important than his. And out the door goes your joy. But listen, all He know is when you're abiding in him and I'm abiding in him, he will give you such joy, won't he? He'll just fill you with your spirit. He'll give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So listen, go back Grace Church of the Valley, get in this book. And if you're in this book, love this book. And as you abide in him and bear fruit, God, according to John fifteen eight, is glorified. So here's two safeguards against the Antichrist and defection. Apostolic message and the anointing of the Spirit, it's in you. But the last phrase, you've got to abide. Can you imagine what this place will look like? Come on. Could you imagine if everyone in this place was so full of the Spirit of God and the Word of God was abiding in us and the evangelists got released in this place and you were serving action fruit and attitude fruit, man, I think the carpet would begin to come up. There'd be so much, you know, heat in this place. And then we'd be out in the community and we'd be making a difference. I'll tell you, the reason why churches mean so little is they've got so few believers, maybe number one in some of them. And secondly, the believers that are in there aren't abiding in Christ. Listen, I need them, don't you? I mean, I can't do this by myself, not the church. Just, I can't walk with the Lord by myself. I need the Lord. I need to get under his word. I need to be in his word. And I need to say, Lord, change me. Make me a man. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to pray more. Every time I'm driving with my girls, we had to go shop for school, which, which Patty's away this weekend. She's at a shower. I, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but um, I go into those stores at Tulare. Is it up there? How do you buy girls School clothes. And it looks like they're at a beach or something. Every, you know, I just, every, I'm like, okay, school's coming. But I'm just trying to pray with them. Girls, let's pray. Let, I'm, I'm, everywhere I I'm going, I'm trying to Deuteronomy 6 with them because we're together and we want to be in the Word of God. And I'm just saying, Lord, help my prayer be like breathing. So that I'm, Lord, would you just help me? Would you help us with the men's ministry? Would you help us on the fifth anniversary? Would you help us as we begin to move out here? Lord, give us wisdom about the building. It's not really about the building because the people make the building. So, Lord, in your timing, in your way, in your grace, lead us forward at this place to make a difference. Amen? Abide in Him.